Well, I am uh, excited to be here with you tonight. Um, I'll go ahead and confess something. I would be a little bit more excited if I were coming Wednesday when y'all are having dessert. Just saying. Um, I, I'm a little, uh, little disappointed. I'll be talking at uh, length with the senior minister and the student minister um, as to why I was chosen for Monday night and not Wednesday night. Because look at me. I like dessert. And I cannot lie. Um, <laughs> if you have your Bibles, do me a favor and turn to the book of Hebrews, the fourth chapter. This is not in here. This is just something I've been doing lately. Um, uh, just for the past few months, every time I get up to preach. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. And if you don't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this for you. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And I believe tonight that as we share some things that uh, I'm going to talk, I'm going to tell a story, I'm going to use a few other verses that I honestly believe it's God's recorded word that we read from that is going to have the power. We are at a revival. We are here because we, we want to be revived. We want, we want the Holy Spirit to just come with us and speak to us. And I believe that it's the word that we read, as simple as the verses are that I'll share with you tonight. I believe that the power is here. Father, thank you for this opportunity. God, I just ask that right now, what is spoken tonight is received in love, is said in love. May we glorify you with our lives. Amen. Well, my name is Michael Sykes. I am from LifeBridge Christian Church in Decatur, Alabama. Um, our church is three and a half, uh, going on four years old. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about that in just a second, but we are a, a merger between two churches. Um, we we, we thought that, uh, hey, it's not good enough just to have one church that was just truthfully sick, unhealthy, that we should have two unhealthy churches. And we should bring all these sick people together so that we can just wallow in our own self-pity. And so three and a half years ago, we started a new church in the North Alabama area, and we got rid of the names that were associated with the two churches, uh, Hartzell Christian Church and Decatur Christian Church, and we formed Life Bridge. Uh, we sit on the Tennessee River, and, and that's where the bridge came in. I have no idea where the life came in because I was not part of the naming of the church. Um, and we started this church, and we said, hey, we're going to be different. Didn't know what different would look like. Didn't know what healthy would look like. But we said we're going to be healthy. It's been an amazing journey. A journey that has brought me to congregations. A journey that has brought me and given me the opportunity to talk about what God is doing. And in four, three and a half years, we've seen two unhealthy churches who fell on their face before God. Said, Lord, we want to be used by you. We, we, we want to we model what you did. 
we've seen God do some pretty amazing things. A couple months back, I had the opportunity to go to Charleston. Had a couple of opportunity to spend a couple of nights with some of your guys, TJ, Jamie, Joel, Joel, Jeff. Had some great conversations with these men. Food was good, wasn't it, Jamie? TJ still ate, out ate everything in one of us. Don't, I, I'll go ahead and tell you right now. Smallest guy at the table, look, he, that man right there put it down. I mean, there was, he was eating what we couldn't eat, all right? But that food, let me tell you, they, they has I'm, I, shrimp and grits. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait to get to heaven because that, that chef that cooked them over there in Charleston, he's going to be there with us. And, uh, man, we had some great conversations. And so I enjoyed getting to know some of the, the men, some of the leaders of Cross Plains. Um, those couple of days. About 14, 15 years ago, I was just getting into the ministry. I have a very indirect way of getting into the ministry. Um, I, I, I grew up in the Galilee Christian Church in Jefferson, Georgia. Uh, so I, I am a, a Georgia boy, uh, born in Atlanta and raised my entire life. I grew up on a farm. So when you say we're just of a country folk, trust me, I know a country folk is like, and I relate very well to country folk. That's where I feel natural. That's where I feel at home. I went to Bible college, Atlanta Christian College, to go into the ministry, and I got there, and I said, there is no way that I am going to be a minister. <laughs> Not happening. And so whatever call God put in my heart, the devil had a stronger call, and I left. And so I left there, and I got into the secular world, and I was working at UPS. I, I met the lady who would eventually come to become my wife. Her name's Amanda. And, and, and we felt that, hey, even though I wasn't in the ministry, that we needed to be involved in church. And so we joined the local Christian church in Gainesville, Georgia, where we were living and going to school. And God started planting this little seed and tugging at my heart. But things were going so well at UPS that uh, I kind of ignored God. You know, when, 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 when the devil throws things like money and houses and cars and all that kind of stuff and you're in your 20s, it, it's hard to, it's very easy to just push God away. But God just kept tugging and he kept tugging and he kept tugging. And finally I surrendered and I told my wife, this is what God wants. That was about 15 years ago. 14 years, I'm back at Galilee Christian Church. It's a youth minister's meeting. Just starting. Some brave or crazy church gave me an opportunity. Business management degree up here. Gave me an opportunity to be a youth minister. So I, I'm doing my youth ministry thing, and I get invited to this youth minister's meeting. And I'm at this meeting, and in comes some guy who I didn't know. Hung out with him for a few minutes, and, and quickly I realized he, he was a punk. All right, I just, I, I know he's a punk because truthfully at that time I was a punk too, and, and he knew it all, and I knew it all, and I was like, there's just no way this can happen. And quickly a friendship, believe it or not, developed. You went on to hire the punk, that's on you. <laughs> His name was Jeff, I found out that day, and a friendship struck up. We became friends, and, and we started doing things together and spending time together. And I don't use the term friend lightly. I don't use it very often. But Jeff is one of those people. As a matter of fact, outside of my wife, he is probably the closest person. And over the course of time, over the 15 years that I've known him now, we, we've had 
conversation after conversation about our ministries, about what God's doing in our life, about the churches that we were serving at. And early in that ministry, we didn't know what God was doing with us. We look back and we laugh at it now. It's funny now. But God was cultivating something in us. Something that we didn't learn at school. Something that Jeff didn't learn up at his time at Bible college. Something that we didn't pick up growing up in Christian churches. God was doing something in us. And Jeff and I just, we, in our conversations, always seem to lead to church. They always seem to lead to, to our local church and where we were serving and what we were doing. And we would always ask the question, are we winning? I mean, I mean is, is our church winning? Are, are we prevailing? And, and church was just so frustrating to both of us. And I cannot tell you just how frustrating it was. But we continued to search Scripture and read Scripture together. And we'd read about that New Testament church. That church that, that was planted and started in Acts chapter 2. We'd read about Jesus' ministry and how he did things. And then we would look at our church and we'd be like, I just don't see it. And then we'd read that passage in Matthew where Jesus is talking to Peter. And he says, on you, I'm going to build my church. I mean, Peter was a screw-up. I relate very well to Peter. I mean, hothead, control freak, you know, the whole personality stuff. Peter and I, we, we really have a lot in common. And then I related, and I saw that Jesus came to Peter. Of all the, the selection that he had, he came to Peter, and he goes, on you, I'm going to build my church which is pressure. But then the following words, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I was like, now just connect these dots here. Jesus said Peter's going to start the church, and it is on Peter and his ministry and what he does, that Jesus is going to start the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then I look at my church that I'm serving at, I'm like, are we really, is this really Jesus' church? Or are we really pushing back the gates of hell in Monroe where I was serving at the time? And I got frustrated one night. It was after a board meeting. Joel, you ever been frustrated after a board meeting? No. Never, right? That's just something that happens to me. <laughs> right? It never happens except for me. I got frustrated one night. must have been must have been something I ate. And I called Jeff up. I was just mad. I was like, Jeff, I've been in this ministry thing for just a couple of years, and I just don't think we're doing it. I was like, Jeff, this is the third month in a row that we've left a board meeting with the church leaders and, and this is a true story. I'm not exaggerating this. Where the predominant conversation for three board meetings straight was where are we going to put the dumpster? I mean, we, we're changing out trash service. Now, give, let, me let me just be straight. Getting rid of the trash in the building 
is important. We don't need it to accumulate inside. Three months. We argued over where we were going to place a metal box that was going to hold trash. The sad part about this was that just that week, we had families leaving the church over very important issues like I disagree with the type of floor that y'all put in the Family Life Center. We, we had a million-dollar Family Life Center. I mean, praise God, you know. We, we, we pulled our resources, a big church. We pulled our resources, and we built this nice, massive Family Life Center to be used by the church, you know, of course. But, I mean, we're going to use it. And, and we had a family leave because we chose to go with a certain kind of wood over here instead of this type of material. They got mad because they were big contributors and they didn't get their way. I mean, we're talking and arguing over dumpsters and we got people leaving because of petty stuff like that. We had people leave within that last month because we had two services. One of our services played a little bit more contemporary music and not enough hymns. We had some large contributors who came to that service because they couldn't come to the other service, and they didn't like the fact that there were more contemporary songs than hymns. We had people leaving the church that month because there were too many hymns being sung, period. I don't know what it is about hymns. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't know how in the world music has become so divisive. And I'm sitting in this board meeting, and for three months we've talked about a dumpster all the while People in our flock are leaving over very petty issues in their lives, in their maturity, their growth does not matter to anybody. And I could not believe it. I just, I could not believe that we as a church were here. And I told Jeff, I said, we as a local church, we are not prevailing. The, the gates of hell have, are, have prevailed against us. Satan is in here, and he's got us divided. He, he's got us distracted with other things. And we have people who are coming into our flock, and they're, they're giving money, and they're, they're leaving, and they're, you know, the, the, it's all petty. Every single bit of it is petty. And the leadership of this church is more concerned about a dumpster. I was so frustrated. You will not mistake me for a Bible scholar. But all I know to do in times of difficulty, times of uncertainty, is to turn to the Bible. So I would pick it up and I would read. Why is our church like this? I mean, there's so much opportunity. It's full of good people. Our church is full of some of the, the best people in the world. But I would read this, church, this, this account in Acts, and I would see that, okay, Jesus said that he's going to use Peter to start the church, and that the church looked like this right here. 
And they, they met every day. That's what I love about the church. They, they met every day in homes. I mean, they, 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 they didn't all just gather up here at the building. They, they met in their homes. They studied together. They ate together. I'm so grateful that Jesus is an eater. They ate together. They shared together. They had fellowship, which goes way beyond just potluck dinners that you guys will have. Desserts. It's koinonia, and it, it's, it's all kinds of stuff that goes into what they did with fellowship. They, they lived life together. And I look at that church and I see how they operate. And then, you know, they would, they would meet on a daily basis. And then they would gather corporately at the temple. And the church leaders at the time, the apostles, they were like, hey, look, we, we, we don't have time to handle the petty stuff, leaders. We, we got to be over here in prayer. We got to be over here seeking God and what he, he's going to do with us. So all this, I'm reading and I'm very simple-minded. I'm, I'm not the smartest person. But I look at what the Bible says, and then I look at our church, and I see a huge disconnect. So one thing that God has given me, it can be used as a gift, and sometimes my wife tells me I, I go too far, um, is the whole spirit of boldness. I'm not scared to ask the questions. You know, as a as a 25 year old uneducated youth ministry. I mean, I had a management degree, but I didn't know anything about really youth ministry. Um, <clears throat> this church took a chance giving me a job. I, I finally got to the point where I was like, "All right, hey, I need to ask, start asking some questions. I, I need some answers." And so I started asking questions. Hey, guys, explain this to me, spiritual leaders, that, that I read this over here in 2 Corinthians about how we are all to be, you know, ministers of reconciliation and how we are all to be ambassadors going out, you know, to reconcile the differences between those who have sinned in their life and God. I mean, use, how are we doing that? I see how... I see how the church is meeting on a daily basis in homes, praying together. These elements, breaking bread, studying. How come we're not doing that? How, I mean, how come the only prayer we get is, is one guy praying a few minutes you know, with the minister before the, the, the service starts? How, how, come, how come we're not meeting together and praying together? I learned something interesting. <laughs> I found out people don't like to be questioned about church. I was shocked then. I mean, I thought, hey, you know, here I am to help out. I'm just trying to help out. That's all I'm trying to do. It's innocent. I'm not trying to be divisive. I just see that Jesus told Peter he's going to build the church on him. And then when he did, this is what it looked like. And I see now, some 2,000 years later, it looks a little bit different. And here we are, elders, deacons, 
staff of five. Talking about a dumpster. All while we have spiritual infants in our midst. I just think there's something missing. So I asked for a while. It finally came to the point where it was, Michael, you have a decision to make. You either get on board with how we are going to do ministry or you Find a place that suits you. We had nine elders. We had nine elders because this is one of those things I understand. The bylaw said we had to have a minimum of nine elders. I'm telling you, this doesn't make sense. And I remember sitting down with the senior minister and, and I remember sitting down and just, guys, let's, can we just read this together? And we sat there and we read it. And the prevailing attitude was that our heritage of who we have been the last 30 years was more important than what the New Testament church looked like. And it got covered up with words like, well, the culture's different. You know, Michael, you need to understand that in the book of Acts, it was Pentecost. People traveled all over. They were there for this celebration. We, we were scattered. It was a different time. And it just never sat with me. Now, in fairness to the church, because I don't want to bash the church, they did some good things for the community, and they helped out a lot of people. Supported a lot of missionaries who are advancing the gospel around the world. There's, there's good that is happening. I worked with the Red Cross a few years after I left Monroe. They do a lot of good for the community. And they send a lot of money around the world to help people out. I look at the church in America and I can't help but ask, are we Pushing back the gates of hell. I mean, is Jesus... I mean, we, we say, yeah, we're a Christ church. You know, we are part of the body. And, and it, we're here. We say that. They acknowledge that. So the journey for me... began. What God was cultivating in me had begun. When I was in fourth grade, 
to go back a little bit earlier, <laughs> tell you a little bit about, about myself. When I was in fourth grade, I started to struggle with my grades a little bit. And uh, my parents noticed, well, my mom, my dad didn't really pay attention. My parent, my mom noticed that, hey, I'm starting to you know, do this a little bit more. And, you know, we had the TV on. We didn't watch a lot of TV. And uh, we were only there as kids to get up and turn the channel for my parents because that was way back when, before, you know, what we have today. And, um, you know, we would get up and we would turn. And, I, and my mom noticed, hey, he's squinting. Grades are dropping. Let's get him checked out. So they got me checked out, and sure enough, I was, I'm nearsighted. I can't see, you know, right here past this first row. So all the rest of you, y'all aren't even here right now. So they got me glasses. <laughs> not wearing those glasses. I'm in fourth grade. I was too cool in fourth grade for glasses. And I refused to wear glasses. And I remember arguing with my mom the day we were going to pick up the glasses. Michael, it's a whole new world. You have been seeing fuzzy, blurry trees and cows and fence posts and this and that. And you're going to put these glasses on and your eyes are going to be open to a whole new world. Well, I'm happy with my world. I'm perfectly content with what I have because it's all I knew. I mean, I, I didn't know clear. I, what I saw was clear to Michael because that, that's, that's all I knew. And so I didn't want the glasses. And we sat there in the doctor's office and they put them on. She said, see, Michael? I wouldn't give her the benefit of the doubt. I'm also stubborn. Yeah, it's a little better. Walk outside. Oh, so that's what the car looks like. <laughs> I took the glasses off. I was in there. Because my normal was what I was comfortable with. Oh, I wasn't comfortable with those lenses I don't know, hanging off my face. Oh, I wasn't comfortable with that. I wanted what I was comfortable with. Is it possible that the fourth grade Michael and the church have something in common? Is it possible that this is what's happened to the church in America today over the generations in that first church? Is it possible that we started the way God intended what a powerful movement that was, wasn't it? God's economy. This is the way he planned. This is what he intended. Peter's going to come and he's going to preach a sermon. Peter didn't know he was coming to preach a sermon. Holy Spirit acted on him. He preached this sermon. And lives were changed. There was no conference to tell him how to start a church. There were no books. There were no bookstores to go and get all the latest information. You couldn't YouTube it. All right, now how do I plan a church? How do I start a church? It was just, hey, a bunch of willing spirits who were open to the Holy Spirit to be work in them. He preached a sermon. Thousands of people came forward and said, now what? And God said, you're going to be relational. You're going to meet together. You're going to love one another. 
if you look at the, the course of time, we've kind of drifted from that. We, we've, we've kind of faded from what that image looks like. But we're comfortable now. We're, we're completely comfortable coming to church on Sunday morning, putting on our nice clothes, coming to Sunday school. We're here two, two and a half hours on Sunday. Have a Sunday night service that eh, some of us come to. Wednesday night, yeah, we might have something Wednesday night, but it's primarily for the kids. We've become completely comfortable with that, and that's our normal. I mean, that's the way we grew up. It's the way I grew up. I didn't know any different. I didn't know church was supposed to be different. I think it's possible that we've just kind of moved from what God intended the church to look like. Think about it like this. I I don't want to go all political on you. Certainly not going to give a political rant. But I think many of us would agree that the country that our founding fathers created when we declared independence, when that constitution was crafted and put in place, it's not the same as it was then. I was raised, I was born in the 70s, 40 years old, entered middle school in the 80s, high school into the 90s. We didn't talk about Planned Parenthood. That that was not part of our culture. There were no real threats of terrorism. There were no real threats of ISIS. That that stuff just wasn't relevant to the day. Oh, yeah, you had your your sprinklings here and there of terrorist attacks and planes being hijacked, but it wasn't on the front page. It wasn't discussion every day. Same-sex marriage was nothing we ever discussed. Sure, in the locker room, guys would make fun of homosexuals and gay. There would be jokes, but even that was very limited. That, That just was not part of the culture. My 12-year-old son knows more about Planned Parenthood from the media than what I know. He knows more about same-sex marriages and gays in the schools and and things that are going on than, than I ever had to deal with. He asks legitimate questions about safety from terrorists when we travel to, to Zimbabwe and places like that. His reality that he is living in is completely different than the reality that I have. The country that I grew up in in the 80s is slid over a little bit further away than what the founding fathers ever did. And the country that I grew up in in the 80s and 90s is a lot further than some of you who can remember back. I've got a 93-year-old grandmother. And my great-grandmother lived to be 101 and to hear her stories about how this world, our country particularly, has changed. She's like, it is nothing like what it used to be. We've gotten further and further and further away from the intent. If it can happen in our country, it can happen 
with the church. I believe that we have generation after generation drifted from the original model. The church that we have grown up with is completely normal to us. It's comfortable. It's hard for me to see something might be wrong when it is all I know. Let's go back to my fourth grade year quickly. Let's just say that I never wore my glasses. I have the glasses. They're in my possession. I just never wore them. Year after year, I refused to put on the glasses, knowing that they'll make a difference in my life. But year after year, my eyes continue to weaken to the point that I become blind. I've become so used to my condition that I do not even see the damage that is taking place. I think that's happened in the church. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to say some things here, and we're going to kind of walk through this passage. We're actually going to read down in 39, but I want to just kind of back up to 13. We're not going to read this. I just kind of want to set the stage for Jesus and and what he's talking about here. Luke chapter 6. Did I say Luke? Okay, Luke chapter 6. If you, if you go back to up to 13 here, you'll see that it reads, When morning came, he called his disciples to him, chose 12 of them who he also designated apostles. All right, so here's the list in, in Luke. He's got a lot of disciples. He's, Jesus has got a lot of people following him. We don't know exactly how many at this time, but he does have a lot, and he was credited to having over 120 people follow him. He designates... 12 of them to be his apostles. You, you, you 12, you're going to be set apart. You know, we're going to do some things different with you. You know, Spirit's going to come on you, heal, teach. You know, you're going to do some things. You're going to drive out demons. You, you, you 12. So he, he has his disciples. He has now his 12 apostles. And it says down in verse 17 that he goes down um, with them and he stood on a level place. And then it says this, a large crowd of his disciples was there. So I don't know how big a large crowd was. But he had his 12 apostles. He had this large crowd. And he begins to teach. Now, I've got a cheap Bible that doesn't have Jesus speaking in red. But there's a lot of red in here. There's a lot of Jesus teaching. Now, know his audience here. His audience are the disciples. His audience are the people who have chosen to follow him for the sake of becoming like him. His audience are the apostles. And he gets into the blessed ours. There, there's some, but he's talking to them. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh later. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you. We would call that bullying now. Reject you because of the Son of Man. Then he gets into the woes. Woe is you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. And so there's a lot of teaching going on here. And then he gets into love. He starts talking about love for enemies. And he he starts talking about, hey, it's not just good enough to, to go one mile. You go with them two. Give them this. 
Give to everyone who asks. And if anyone takes what they belong to you, do not demand it back. And this, this is some hardcore teaching. But he's getting to this place where he, he's talking to them about what it's like to be a follower of him. And then jump to 39. He's talking about judging others. He says, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together. The measure you use is going to be used against you. And then Luke writes this. He also told them this parable. It's two very simple questions. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Two, three years ago, I was uh, with my student minister and some elders. We were in Idaho for some training. Uh, very similar. Well, it was the exact same training that some of your guys went to. It's called discipleship. Except we decided because you know we don't own a map that we would go to Idaho because. You know, South Carolina is too convenient for us. And so we went up there, and we're going to make a, you know, a trip of it, and, and we're going to go explore. We're going to sightsee. And so we're in a couple of different vehicles, and one of my elders uh, and his wife, they, they kind of made some reservations at this place <coughs> um, at, at a campground at Glacier National Park, where Jeff just came from. And so we did our conference, and we're going to do some driving and sightseeing and stuff. And so it's the student minister. His name's Stephen. He and I are in a car together. And then we're on our own for a couple of days. But once we sightsee, once we do our sightseeing, we're, we're going to stay with the Bennetts because they made reservations at this house that, that would sleep plenty of people. All we had was this address that we didn't really pay attention to the address, but it was the billing address for the, 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 the company that did the rentals for this house. It wasn't the physical address. And so I don't know if you know anything about Northwest Montana and Glacier National Park in that area, but cell phones haven't reached that part of the world yet. It's just fine. And so we're there, and uh, we're doing our thing, man, seeing some of God's greatest and prettiest country, and we're, we're doing our thing, and it's time for us to go. And he's like, do you know where, where it is? And I'm like, well, no, we've got this address here. And he goes, okay. Well, he punched in the address. Well, it led us to some town 30 miles away. You know, and we're like, well, great, that's no good. And so all we have is our GPS. And so we're sitting here <laughs> typing things into this GPS, which is out of date anyway. And it's not working. Well, I think it's back over here. And so he would take a turn driving, and he, he would drive. And I, I would sit there and just ride along with him. And we would drive and ride and ride and ride. Nowhere. So well, maybe it's over here. We would ride and ride and ride and ride and ride. Nothing. Now, ladies, I know what you're thinking. Okay, I just, okay, look. We're two guys. Our wives are back in Alabama. We didn't have that. And we didn't know what in the world we were doing. We didn't know where we were going. We were in foreign territory, land. Stephen backed into a ditch. The blind cannot lead the blind. Will they not both fall into 
a pit. And this is the part of the message that I really and truly hope is heard with love. It is said with love. But church leaders, if you are following the model of leadership that you gained from the generation above you, and they're following the model of leadership that they gained from the generation above them and that they got from them, and the church as a whole has slid from the original intent of what Jesus wanted to where we are today. Are we blind trying to lead the blind? Have we landed ourselves, the church in America, in a pit? I went on to pastor a church in Hartsville, Alabama. And they said when they called me, Michael, we're looking for somebody that's passionate about discipling people. And I was just, I'm as passionate as they come. And praise God, my passion for discipling people has only gotten stronger. So I jumped at it with both feet. I was still a youth minister, but I'm like, that's it. That's the job for me. Because the Bible scholar that I was saw that that's what Jesus did. He discipled people. And so I got there. I'm like, yeah, let's start this. Let's, let's disciple somebody. It became a catchphrase. It, it was just another something that we did. And before I knew it, I found myself right back in the same place as a youth minister. Turmoil. Stuck in a rut. Trivial conversations about whatever, while people who are sitting in our pews and in our our classes are begging for more. While the world around us is continuing to change, I found ourselves as a church in a pit. I do not believe that the church as a whole is winning against our culture. I speak from my experience only. I believe that the church is blind and we are trying to lead the blind. And I think that these two questions are blatant warning signs to you and I today. I'm not here to bash the church tonight. I'm really not. I desperately want to be part of Christ's church, a church where we are doing more than some good things in our community. I want to be part of the church where the gates of hell do not prevail. I want to be part of the church where where lives are being changed. I want to be part of the church where, where people we know are going to heaven instead of doomed for hell because they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the church that I desire. That's the church that I want to be part of. If we're in a pit, 
How do we do this? And, and I stand before you today. I went on after six months of this six months of this ministry in, in Hartsville, Alabama, I went on to become the senior minister. They were like, hey, you know, things aren't working out with the other guy. We got rid of him. We like you. Can we, will you do this? I, I'll tell you, there's two things that I, I've said never to in my life. I would never become a senior minister, and I would never move to Alabama. I find myself senior pastoring a church from a senior level and living in Alabama. God's got a great sense of humor. And I went on to lead that church, and I'm telling you, for the next four years, under the leadership, we remained in a pit. We were unhealthy. We were sitting there spinning our wheels. We were frustrated. We were having conversations. While people around us were just floundering in their faith. Is it too late? If we're in a pit, is it too late for the church in America? Well, Jesus never leaves you hanging in Scripture. Jump down to verse 46. He goes on to teach some more incredible stuff about bearing fruit, bad fruit, good fruit. Y'all talked about that, or you will talk about that. You talked about that. But look what he says in 46. It's very familiar. We could probably sing a song if we wanted to. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say. Can I just stop us right there? I mean, he's asking those disciples who are following him. He's asking those, those apostles of his who, who have dropped their nets, who've left the family business to follow them. And he says, why do you call me Lord? Meaning master of your life. The boss. The one who dictates how you live, how you think. Why do you call me Lord, and then you do not do what I say? If the recorded Word of God, which is this Bible, shows us how we, the church, are supposed to operate, how we as a church are supposed to function, and we are not doing so according to His model, why do we call Him Lord? I think that's a fair question for us to ask. If the Bible is very clear on what the church is supposed to look like and how the church is supposed to act and behave and model, and we're not doing that, why do we call Him Lord? I will show you what He is like who comes to me, verse 47, and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. I look at my church experience. The churches that I've been a part of, and this is so sad, relate a whole lot more to that second church than that first one. 
And so if we're in a pit, if the church in America is in a pit, what, what do we do? Is it too late? And Jesus answers it for us. I will show you what it looks like. Those who come to me and hear my words and put them into practice. See, you can't hear the words tonight and then go out tomorrow and forget about it. It, it, it's the actual putting them into practice where we see the benefit. It's the putting them into practice that digs us out of a pit. So is it too late? With God, it's never too late. But how do we do it? How do we dig ourselves out of the pit? Well, I go back to my journey because I've been in a pit much of my pastoral career. I've been in churches that have been in pits because we have been blind and we followed the blind before us. I told you earlier that it wasn't good enough for us to have one unhealthy church that we decided to take on another unhealthy church. And become one big unhealthy church. In 2010, I was once again leaving the ministry. I was getting out of the state of Alabama. And I was done with this thing because I had made up my mind. God, the church is gone. So I was leaving. I was running. It just so happened that I went on a mission trip to Zimbabwe. God did something in my life then, and he was doing some things. And I said to my wife on the way to the airport, hey, when we get back, we're going to take a few days. We've got a, a cabin up in the North Georgia mountains. We're going to take a few days, and we're going to start looking for a new place to live. I think it's time. So we got back from Zimbabwe, and while I was there, in Zimbabwe, we, we're opening up sharing. It happens when you go on mission trips. And I was opening up sharing, and I was sharing my frustration to the group that I had no idea who these people were. And I was like, well, it can't, can't hurt. And we started praying together, and we'd pray every night. And they just asked me, this guy, he sells insurance, so I don't know if I should trust him or not. Michael, Just pray specifically that God will remove the burden that you're facing. And if he removes the burden, there's your sign. Okay. That's, I'll pray that prayer. God, remove this burden. God, remove this burden. Pray that prayer. Got back from Zimbabwe, prayed the prayer. Still looking, found some attractive churches, other states, found some other jobs, might be interested in trying to get for. And one day I went in, my wife's selling Pampered Chef, and I'll wrap this up here. My wife's selling Pampered Chef, and she asked me, hey, can you bring home a microwave from the church? It was our microwave that we'd used for something else. Can you bring that home? I've got a Pampered Chef party to go to. 
And so I drove into the side of the church. I walked into the kitchen. I unplugged the microwave. I walked out, shut the door, got in my car, and I drove the nine miles to my house. Well, I got nine miles to the house. I unloaded the microwave. My phone's ringing, and it's my admin assistant. And she's like, Michael, you're not going to believe this. The church is on fire. And I'm like, what? She says, yes, the church is on fire. And I was like, well, hey, get out of it first off. Get your stuff, and you leave. Call 911. Do that kind of stuff. I'm not kidding. The fire department is closer to me where I'm standing in that last parking spot out there. There was a fire department across the street from our church. And that sucker went up. And over a million gallons of water by seven different fire departments could not put that fire out. And all of a sudden, I'm standing here praying this prayer. God, remove a burden from me. Now, at the time, you wouldn't have said a church building was the burden. But at the same time, that same week, our sister church, 12 miles up the road, had some internal issues. And the minister there up and quit his job. No two-week notice, no nothing, just I'm done. Moved out from the parsonage under the cover of night, and he left. I'm praying, God, remove this burden, and he destroys a building. Our sister church right up the road says, hey, sorry for your loss. We have a building, not a minister. <laughs> you have a minister and not a building. Why don't we get together? And so we got together, and I met with the leadership, and we said, okay, what's this going to look like? What are we going to do here? You know, we got to come up with a plan as a church, and we got to come up with a plan here. And so I started just filling the pulpit preaching. And I didn't have any leadership. I didn't have any elders. They're, they're still in the pit. And, and their elders came to me, and they said, Michael, you know what? We've been listening to you like we've listened to no other minister, and we believe God wants to do something with us. We believe that God wants us to take these two unhealthy congregations and put them together. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I am not about, I'm, I'm looking. I'm about to leave. I'm wanting out. And they're like, we really feel that this is God. We want you to start praying this. And so we started praying. And we started praying together. And we started having some very uncomfortable conversations about what a healthy church looks like. And I'm telling you right now, church, it was very uncomfortable. When we sat down and we read Scripture together, we looked at what a healthy church looks like, and we looked at Jesus' ministry, we knew that there were some major changes that had to come our way. And we had to ask ourselves, were we willing to step out on faith in this instruction manual that we have here? that shows us everything about life, were we really going to step out there and do something that none of us had ever done? It was uncomfortable. 
We had to look across the board at everything we were doing. We knew that our elders had to step up and start being spiritual leaders. We knew that these men had to step up and start leading the church. No more dumpster conversations for elders. We knew that these men had to step up and start praying together and fasting when led. And we, they had to start being an example of what the body of Christ would look like. We knew that our servant leaders, our deacons, they had to take a role in which they were just that, servants leading with their gifts the way God had blessed them with. And we looked at that and we looked at what that would look like and how that would change for them. So uncomfortable. But that wasn't the end. We, we sat down and we had to come up with some things. And I want to share these with you real quick. What we came up with is that Jesus is divine. Well, no kidding, Michael. Thank you for driving all this way to tell us that Jesus is divine. But what that means, guys, when we say Jesus is divine, that he's like God, it's not just the recorded words of Jesus that are divine. If Jesus is divine and we believe that he is divine, that means it's not just his message that he had for us, but it's how he did ministry. I mean, he talks about discipleship all throughout it. He's got disciples all the time. He's asking people to stop what they're doing and come follow him time and time and time again. He dies on the cross for us. And before he goes to the cross, I find this completely fascinating. Before Jesus goes to the cross, he's in the garden. He's praying a prayer. And he's praying for himself. And he says, Father, I hope I've glorified you in heaven because my job is complete. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. John 17, 4, check it out. Jesus prays a prayer and he says, my job is complete. Well, no, you're not, your job's not complete. You haven't gone to the cross yet. But what he's talking about is in the divine nature of who he is. He did not come down and just teach. He came down and he showed us how to do ministry. And we came to that conclusion all by ourselves. Bunch of engineers, business management degree guy. It's not just his message that is divine. It's his method and if he is divine and he did ministry a certain way, why would we differ? The next thing we came to a conclusion is that what God is asking us to do, it's a daily thing. I appreciate my brother over here singing a song. The line, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And we get wrapped up in a lot of that verse. 
But the one thing that we skip over is the word daily. Being a follower of Jesus and being a church leader in in his church, it's a daily thing. I I can't just do it a couple hours a week. I can't do it. If we're going to come out of this pit, it can't be a random every so often thing. Being a leader means that I must daily choose to follow Jesus and be obedient to him. And once again, we sat around the room. Got elders that work hard. These guys work 50 plus hours every week, travel a lot. How are you going to do this daily? How are you going to lead this church out of the pit? How are you going to do this on a daily basis? I had one guy that said, you know what? I don't think I can. And I respect him for stepping down, for resigning, admitting. I'm telling you, these other two guys... If you knew how much time we spent in prayer together. I believe it's because of these men choosing to daily pick up their cross and live this out that our church has climbed out of this pit. And then the last thing that we kind of came to, and there was a lot more that we could go into, but the last main thing that we came to is that it's for all of us. Paul was talking to a church in Corinth. And they had a lot of problems. He said in his second letter, the fifth chapter, that God has given you the church, plural, all of us, the ministry of reconciliation. It's not just Joel's job to go and represent Jesus Christ. It's not just Jeff's job to go and represent Jesus Christ in the community. That He has given all of us this ministry. I mean, we understand reconciliation in terms of accounting terms. The actual definition or meaning in Greek is that it means to restore friendly relationships. You have a perfect God who can do nothing with sin, who, who, who can have nothing to do with sin, and you've got a world that is sinful. We're, we're, to, we're to be part of that process of, of, of restoring friendly relationships. That's you and I. That, that's everybody in this room. And and so we said if we're going to climb out of this pit, if we're going to be a healthy church, then it's going to be all of us involved in this. We started the 2nd February, 2012. That was our first day of LifeBridge Christian Church. We had 120-something adults, more kids, two unhealthy churches come together. 
six months ago, we got down to about 40. 40. And it was because the elders and I said, as a church, we're all going to be involved. It doesn't matter your education background. It doesn't matter your career background. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. If you're capable of comprehending these things, and you're capable of growing in your faith, you are a minister here. And we expect you as ministers to be obedient, to build your life on the rock. And as we started holding people accountable, guess what? They started finding other places to worship. <laughs> Six months ago, I was questioning this. We've lost a lot of money. We got two staff people. It's tight. What are we going to do? We said, we're going to stick to what God has showed us. And we had 88 yesterday in church, a bunch of new families. We had a celebration service yesterday. I didn't even preach a sermon. We, we, we shared eight stories yesterday of what God is doing around the globe through people. Who people who just months ago, just a few years ago, they didn't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Talk about Sherry Yeager who's been divorced three or four times. I mean, she's, she's been married more than I can account. And, and, and God's forgiven her of that. And she's seen, she's given her life to the Lord. And what she's doing in our children's ministry right now is outstanding. I've got this lady who showed up the second Sunday of, of us being LifeBridge. And she's from the north. She's, no offense if anybody's in here, but she's a Yankee. And not just a Yankee, she's from Illinois. You know, one of those real, whoo. And she came to me and she said, I like you. You tell it like it is. I'm not a Christian. I'm your biggest challenge. I'm like, oh. Yeah, this lady and her husband took in a guy who was walking down the road and saw our church sign. He said, I'm going to come to church. His shoes didn't match. He had holes. Smelled alcohol. You could see the drug paraphernalia on him. Came into our church one Sunday. This lady took him in. He's gone to prison a couple times. He wrote this amazing letter how his life has changed because she has given her life to the Lord and she is now living her life on, on being obedient here. And she's like, I know that Jesus said I'm to make a disciple and I'm to, I'm to invest in someone else. And he wrote this letter, this amazing letter that, that when I read it to our church, everybody was crying. I'm not going to stand here and say that we're completely out of the pit. But I've seen God do some amazing things. I believe the church, I believe Cross Plains, I believe the church in America can climb out of this pit and we can restore, we can be restored to what Jesus said 
what Jesus had in mind. Your leadership's talking to you about discipleship. That's a whole other <laughs> several. I could talk for hours about discipleship because we're living it and we're seeing the change. Your leadership's introducing it to you. It's scary. When, when you buy into discipleship the way that, that Jesus did it, and when you start to understand it, it's scary. But I close with this. Peter and Andrew had a rough night fishing. Didn't catch anything. They're playing their nets. Some guy, dressed as a rabbi, showed up. He's teaching. He said, do you mind putting me out here? Long night fishing. So he goes out and he's teaching. You know the story. Pull your nets out. Oh, but Lord, they're clean. We don't want to get them dirty. Lord, man. Why bother? Throw, throw them out over here. Because you're a rabbi, because you're, yes, they do. Nets start to break. They call the other boats out. Two boats got fish all in them. Both boats are, are starting to sink. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? And Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you. You think about that moment if you're Peter. This is the business. I I, I got to be at work in twelve hours. He and Andrew dropped the nets, and they followed. And I don't know how it would have played out if Peter had said, "No, I'm not interested." But I can tell you this. You are in a church today. You know of the gospel today because Peter said, yes, I will follow you and I will allow you to make me into what you want. And that's the invitation that always is extended to you. Father God, I'm sorry if I rambled. I'm sorry if I screwed this thing up Uh, just pray Lord for Joel and the leadership I I just pray that as they continue to explore this discipling thing that they'll just understand what you did and how you did ministry Give them the boldness to carry it out. Give them the boldness to live it out. God, I pray for the church. God, you know my intent was not to come in here and be divisive. It was not to come in here and tear down. And I pray wholeheartedly that, Lord, uh, 
my experience is something that can, can lead to others, their growth and their spiritual growth. And I pray for cross planes. I, I pray that they become world changers. God, may you do so much good here because they, they look at this and, and I don't even know the state of their church, Lord. But they become a church that is focused on making disciples and everything that goes into that. But I pray that their journey is an exciting journey. God, I'm so grateful for Peter and Andrew to drop the nets and follow Jesus. God, I just pray that right now as, as we sing a song and we just kind of let this resonate within us, that, that Lord, if there's someone out here that needs to do that same thing, drop their nets and follow, God, I pray that they have the boldness to do that. Thank you for your recorded word that we read that we know is powerful. We know that penetrates. And may it continue to do its work in our lives. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.